0: Welcome to a rockin' morning here at Campus to Canton. Guys, it's week zero. We made it. We survived. The off-season is over. College football is here. Welcome into our first episode of The Tailgate, our show, a weekly show here at Campus to Canton that is going to be getting you ready for everything college football, CFF, C2C, DFS, every other alphabet letter that you could possibly imagine stringed together. And i'm joined by four very lovely people here this morning guys we got chris moxley here with us this morning he's going to be doing uh, with us for both hours of the show we've got mr brandon hay coming to us from florida got matthew bruning put this whole thing together for us this morning and then of course my co-host on the c2c podcast colin decker guys congratulations
1: pat yourselves on the back we survived (laughs) the off season Oh, it's so nice to it's so nice to be here finally with college football and something we can actually talk about, new stuff to talk about every week instead of listening to Felix drone and drone on about how Casey Thompson's gonna. Which, wait a minute, that's not happening now, right? Like Casey Thompson's not going to be the starter. He is not. He is not. We've, yeah. we've got a we got a
0: Hudson card ready to go down there for the Longhorns.
2: All right, uh, like I've been saying pretty much the entire offseason, but <laughs> yeah.
0: But nobody listens
2: to you, Colin. No, so, nobody so. listens to me.
1: <laughs> hey, We're you know, Colin, talk- I wish, I wish nobody listened to me when I kept talking about Kyle McCord, and then nobody would remember what I said about him. So, you know, yeah, at least you've got that. You know, it, with there with the good, there's also some bad.
2: It's a fair point.
0: <laughs> that anonymity that Colin has,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mister <laughs> <Mr. laughs> Moxley, what you what you got down there in that solo cup? What are we drinking this morning?
3: Listen, <clears throat> first Saturday. College football, 10 a.m., early kickoff, necessary mimosa.
0: I like it. I like it. And, Brandon, what do you have there?
3: I have a Bloody Mary.
0: All right. So we got our two our two morning beverages down there at the bottom of the screen. Perfect. All righty, guys. So there are not a lot of games to talk about this week. It's just a fact of life. We have five games here in week zero. Next week is is kind of the real kickoff. But, you know, people that are just, you know, degenerates like us, you know, five games is 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 a good amount. Um, So not a lot of news this week. What I do want us to talk about a little bit is just the upcoming season, what we've got coming up for you. So, you know, we've got some (laughs) Felix, we've got some new. QB faces all across the college football landscape uh, some because people have graduated some because covid really prevented some guys from taking jobs last year it's just a fact um some names of big schools names at small schools uh, so chris the biggest name the biggest new face in college in college football this year at the quarterback position it's got to be DJU right do we lose Chris I think so. Chris, Moxley, still with us?
3: I'm here. Yeah. DJ no, you, you.
0: T- tell us a little bit about well, well, what no, you, well. you expect from him this season.
3: Um, A Heisman contender on one of the best teams in the country. You know, an uh, elite recruit replacing Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he has it all. He He's 6'5". He's built like a tank. He's got a rocket arm. I mean... I think he's in the Heisman's discussion without really starting a game for uh, this yeah, this year. I mean, we saw brief stints of him last year, and he carved up another Dame defense that is excellent. You know, I'm excited for DJU, man. I think everybody's excited for DJU.
0: Is he a QB1 this year for fantasy? Without a doubt. Is that a book it?
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what do you guys I don't really have much hesitation saying that either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh what do you guys think? Uh Colin is, is DJU a top five quarterback in fantasy this year. Are we talking that lofty of expectations for him?
2: Um, probably not. Um, to be honest with you, I think that he's gonna be he's gonna be very good and he'll definitely be startable, but I think there's just gonna be more QB options throughout the week that are gonna be startable as well. And they'll probably you have your Dustin Crumbs, your Malik Willis, Matt Corral, those are I think more likely to be the top guy. Um, Trevor Lawrence finished last year on a points-per-game basis as the QB 10. Um, I think that's a reasonable expectation for DJU. I think he'll finish right around the 10 mark. Probably not top five. Might be a little stretch.
0: The one thing yeah, that seems... I- Uh, Nick. Okay. That's a good question. Yeah. Let's segue (laughs) right into that. So Nick Whalen here for anybody that's, that's going to listen to this in podcast form later said, but which Clemson wide receiver emerges. And that, that is a really fun discussion, Matt, I'll come to you first. I know we have Justin Ross returning this year. Do you think he's their leading receiver or do you think
1: it's somebody else? I mean, I'd like it to be Justin Ross, but I'm still worried. I know he got cleared, but I'm still worried about him kind of going back to what he was. So I'm, I guess I'm going to go, Nagata? I mean, I think it's going to be him or Ross, because I don't think EJ Williams is going to do that just yet. Now, I'm not a big fan of of, of Frank uh, Ladson Jr. either. So I do think it's going to be between Nagata or Ross, and I'd lean Nagata just because I'm still worried, even though he got cleared by all the medical people and everything. That was a serious injury, and I'm just worried if, if he'll be able to fully come back because he hasn't played in over a year now. Is he really going to be able to go right back out there and be the guy we saw him last time he was on the field? especially
0: because they say he's going to be in the slot, right? And that that's a new, you know, that's that—that's new for him. He's traditionally been a boundary guy there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can make that transition. Um, Brandon, DJU has the rushing upside. He, he is a very good rusher. I've, I've seen some people kind of compare how he moves to Cam Newton. I mean, he's a big guy, you know, 6'5", 240-ish. Over under 500 rush yards for him across this season.
4: I would definitely have to go over, I think just with all the new uh parts of that offense there might you know it might not run as chris especially at the beginning, and just because of his athleticism, he's gonna you know run and you know get you probably you know forty or fifty yards a game at minimum, I would think, so I would have to go over
0: yeah anybody anybody else know. have have thoughts that you have under Matt
4: just under five hundred rushing yards it, it's a lot yeah.
1: I think maybe 300. I think 500 is asking a lot. I don't think they're they're going to run him. I think Lawrence is probably a better athlete than him, and that's a lot coming from me. I, I, I like to crap on Lawrence's athleticism all the time, uh, back when we were having the Fields-Lawrence-Wilson debates. I, I think Lawrence is a problem. From what I've seen, obviously we've only seen a couple games from DJU. I think Lawrence is a little bit of a better runner, so I think 500 is high. I, I'd go maybe 300. And I think that's a fair—that's a fair kind of basis to go off for his rushing yards.
0: Yeah, I think that seems completely fair. Call and you—you have something to chip in there.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say I'll echo that. I—I th- I think under is probably more likely. Um, but I'll back up a little bit what Brandon said there. With so many new pieces of that offense and that offensive line was not good last year. Um, so I, I mean, if he has to get outside the pocket and scramble a little bit, it wouldn't surprise me that much. So I will take the under. Um, but I don't think it's as big of a lock as what Matt's saying. I think, you know, probably I'll split the difference and I'll say 400, but that's still under.
0: Man, you guys are so – you
2: guys aren't so, fun at all. I'm
0: taking the over. First I'm taking show I'm the bet? over.
1: Oh, first show bad. Okay, okay. Why not? Why not, not make it? it? Not? So you, okay. you're – go wait, Brandon, I thought Brandon went over on 500 too. I did. So you two went over? Yep. Yep, and well, Nick's right. One, yeah. In three years rushing. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I, think,
0: I I think he I mean, gets it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Over 500. Yeah. I think he's more I'll take the under. I think he's more willing to run and I think the coaching staff is more willing to let him run from what it seems like because, and what it sounds like. Cuz he's built like a brick shit house. Yes. I there's a very low chance of you breaking DJU. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, Nick, right. since you're since you're watching in the comments, I want to know, just comment in there. I w- I'd like to see what you think. If you think he goes as great a Debbie mind as you are, I'd love to see what you think. Do you think he goes over or under the 500 rushing yards?
0: Yeah. yeah, we'll move on here while we're waiting for him to respond. Another new name at a major program, Emery Jones at Florida. Uh, we expect to have the starting job there, although the coaching staff still maintains that Anthony Richardson is going to make some sort of appearance throughout the season. Um, so that, that quarterback situation is still a little weird. Um, Brandon, Emery Jones, what should we expect from him this year From for a fantasy perspective?
4: Well, I think he definitely brings the rushing upside. Uh, they sprinkled, has sprinkled him in the last couple of years running the, the ball, bringing him in at quarterback, even when Kyle Trask was, was doing very well. Um, and it was pretty known that he was going to run and he would still get eight or nine yards even with the defense keying on him. I think the biggest thing is he's going to be improve as a passer. We have such a small sample size, around 30 passes the last couple of years. Um, will he be able to do that? I know a lot of people think that this is more the quarterback that Dan Mullen likes, and he can do more things running the ball and just vary um, the offense a little bit. So I think it will be very interesting if he improves on his passing. I think he could have a very good year and be a very high uh, fantasy uh, player this year.
0: Yeah, and Nick th- Nick thinks DJU will go over as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, five hundred I thought was a pretty fair number to start that discussion off at. Um, so, yes, Emory Jones, the complete one hundred and eighty from Kyle Trask, who was their starter last year. Um, beyond him, do they have other weapons there that that can be significant in that offense? Anybody want to hop in on that question?
2: They have a Ooh. lot of ta- they have a lot of talent, but there's nobody that I feel good about. Um, I mean, they had Justin Shorter, five-star guy, went to Penn State, couldn't really cut it there, hasn't really done much there at Florida since. Jacob Copeland's a guy that I'm intrigued by, but I was intrigued by him last year, too, and he didn't really show kind of what you wanted. Uh, and they're going to be replacing a lot of production in Pitts and Tony, so it, somebody has to step up. Um, I'm just not exactly sure who it's going to be. Maybe and or uh, Xavier Henderson. Um, that's, yeah. yeah, he was a big time recruit last year, too. So maybe throw him in the mix, but it's just, it's very uncertain right now.
0: It sounds like Henderson has had some maturity issues there um, that still may not necessarily be worked out. How about in the backfield, guys? I know they have Damian Pierce coming back, they have Naquan Wright. Um, there's another guy there as well. Plus, they bring in Demarcus Bowman, the five star last year, who. Uh, went to Clemson for a very brief stint before coming back home. Um, how do we feel that that's that's just kind of a cluster at the running back position,
1: right Matt? Yeah, but I think Bowman's the best of that group. I mean, you have Damian Pierce, who the senior. I do think he's going to get run. Probably end up at least a starter to kick off the season. You got Malik Davis. Uh, I think it's Naquan, if I'm saying his name right. Naquan Wright is his uh, is the other guy there. So I think Bowman is the best. Obviously, we hope to see him at Clemson transferred out to Florida due to some family stuff. I think he's going to be the best. Uh, best running back there as the when the season comes to an end we'll be talking about him having taken over that backfield at some point but I think Pierce is probably the guy who starts I just wanted to echo Colin I agree Henderson although he is having the off-field issues uh, Kevin Coleman part of our team a really great part of the uh, the college football community he's big on Henderson he thinks he's going to have a big year I agree with him on that I think Henderson could be just like Bowman the guy we're talking about in the wide receiver room that kind of takes a step forward with Emory Jones in this offense
0: yeah, so speaking of a, oh, let's see, will DeMarcus Bowman get the majority of carries this year? Um, I, I don't think so. I don't think he red shirts. You know, I don't think there's no touch in the field. I don't know. Chris, you're shaking your head pretty hard there. No, it's going to be Damian
3: Pierce. It's going to be gross that it is, but it's going to be Damian Pierce. I
0: I kind of like Damian Pierce. Like he is poor man poor man CEH. Is that kind of an accurate description of him? He has that low running style. He's not particularly oversized, but makes the most of those physical gifts. He can he can catch catch the ball. I mean, I'm not saying he's gonna be a first round draft pick like like CH was. I mean, Colin and I all the time on the C2C pod, we have these chains of, you know, this guy's a poor poor man's man's. version of this, who's the poor man's version of this, and you can work your way like six rungs down the ladder. He just feels like he's on the same ladder. As C-A- C-E-H is uh, stylistically,
3: I just I I think it's gonna be Pierce, and I think we're I don't know I think there's a lot of optimism around Demarcus Bowman. I'm not even sure he's currently the RB two there. I think he's might be the RB three. I've seen Malik Davis listed ahead of, ahead of him, so I don't know what Nickon Wright's doing. Um, but you know I I like Pierce too, like as well, but. I wish it was DeMarcus Bellman. I just don't think it's going to be.
2: And then yeah. there's a guy everybody forgets about, too, Linzo, or, uh, Lorenzo Lingard, uh, five-star transfer from Miami. So, I mean, he was ineligible or he wasn't eligible to play last year because the transfer rules were slightly different. Um, so he didn't play at all for him, but he is going to be there this year. Uh, and I expect him to factor in, too.
0: It's amazing how Miami and Florida, how just th- those two backfield situations are virtually identical. A lot of guys, you know, some some former five stars, some transfers, and just we're not really sure how those backfields are going to shake out. Um, we're, we've talked about two, uh, you know, uh, dual threat type quarterbacks here. Colin, you said at the beginning of the show you've been saying all off season that Hudson Card is going to get that Texas job. I don't think it's official yet. Sounds like it's going to be though. So tell us a little bit about what you expect from Hudson Card this year from a fantasy perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean, from a fantasy perspective, I expect big things. Um, Sark's offenses um, in the past couple of years have been very efficient. He throws the ball, they throw the ball a lot. They try to get the ball into the hands of their playmakers and make it a little bit easier for the quarterbacks, which I think is something that's going to benefit Hudson Card because um, he's only been playing the quarterback position since his junior year of high school. Um, at Lake Travis in uh, in Texas, he was a wide receiver for his freshman and sophomore year, and he was very good. Then he moves to the quarterback position. Um, He was pretty raw pretty raw coming out. But, you know, so he still has some development there. I think it's going to try to make it easy on him. And then, you know, coming with being a wide receiver, he's an extremely dynamic athlete. So he's going to bring you some big-time production with his legs, I think, this year. If if you want to put an over-under on 500 yards for rushing for Hudson Card, I'm going to take the over on that one. Um, I think he's going to – I mean, he doesn't have the long speed, but man, is he just so good in short areas. He's so quick. It kind of reminds me of like a Kyler Murray light with just how quick he is moving around back there. Um, he's probably like I said, probably not going to break off any huge long runs, but on a game to game basis, I think he's going to put up some really solid rushing numbers for you. I think fantasy wise, um, you know, the, I think QB one is in his range or a QB one is in his range of outcomes. More likely in the lower half of that 10 to 12 range um, or a high-end QB too. So if you put, put a number on it, I'm saying 10, between 10 and 15.
0: You know, the guy that, um, that was barely able to beat out Casey Thompson in pre- preseason here, maybe I'm not super confident it's going to be a quarterback one. I'm thinking more of a quarterback three. Um, Brandon, do you have any thoughts on you know what kind of Hudson Card can do this year? I'm not sure that, that Sark wants him to run that much.
4: Yeah, i would say probably not, run, not running, not running as much. But I think in that offense, you know, he'll be whoever that starting quarterback is. You know, looks like it would be Hudson Card. Will will be able to produce in that offense and put up some pretty big numbers, especially against those Big Twelve defenses.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa! Big Twelve defenses. Big the Big Twelve defenses have gotten significantly better over the past couple of years, Brandon.
4: Still don't think that they're, they're great, so I think he can uh, still put up some big numbers.
0: Good morning, Mr. Lobb there. Thanks for tuning in with us. Um, so Hudson Card is the is probably the quarterback there. They've got a lot of receiving weapons, but it sounds like, you know, uh, Omir is dealing with a knee injury already. Uh, Jordan Whittington has consistently not been able to stay on the field for long stretches of time at Texas. Is it Xavier-worthy season, or, or are we buying into that hype, Chris?
3: Maybe. I mean, I think I think Moore is going to run ahead of him still. Um, I, they'll probably both be starters, to, to be honest. I don't know what Worthy is going to do. I I don't think I'm as high on Worthy as everybody else seems to be, but I'm just not that high on that passing game in general. Like I I have I have card outside my top forty quarterbacks heading into the year from a fantasy perspective. I don't think he cracks that. I don't think the passing game is going to be. Up to speed, right? Like he barely beat out Casey Thompson. Like that is, that is not a badge of honor, clearly. So, um, you know, as a production standpoint, from like a CFF perspective, I have no interest in probably any of those wide receivers, to be honest. But, um, you know, I think Worthy is a good shot to produce, at least some his freshman year. I don't know. He's going to start.
0: What's everyone saying down there in Texas, Matt? You're,
1: you're, you're a local sort of.
3: I know so, you're not that close
0: to. Um
1: no, I'm really not. It's like three hours. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of confused by the narrative of he could barely beat out Casey Thompson. Like, we talked about this before on Debbie debate. I know on every other show, I feel like we've talked about this stuff. Like, we do remember that like Justin Fields couldn't beat out Jake Fromm. Pretty sure none of us are saying Justin Fields is not better than Jake Fromm. We see coaches make bad decisions all the time realistically down here there is a lot of talk that the reason he has not named Hudson Card the starter and that they're still competing is because Casey Thompson has made it very well known if he does not win that job he is gone and Sark doesn't want him to leave in case something happens to Hudson Card so I don't think it's necessarily Cards not beating him out I think it's more of him managing the team kind of like Ryan day did with the a million quarterbacks he has in his room and not want any of those guys to leave. I think it's more of a managing thing than card not being better because I, I know it's Felix's guy and, and he definitely beat up like the fifth string Colorado defense in that bowl game last year. I I was like one phone call away from going out there and playing DB for him. Casey Thompson would have roasted my ass too. I'm just going to be honest. So it, it is not, not that impressive that he did that against Colorado. In my opinion, Card's just the overall better quarterback. I think he fits Sark's offense better. Well, I agree with Colin. I think he's going to be good in that offense. He's going to put up numbers. I do probably lean closer to Moxley. I don't know if he's going to be like top even 30 because I think they're mostly going to try and lean on Bijan this year and still continue to build that because, I mean, like I said, Troy O'Meary, we don't even know when he's going to play this year. I think he's probably their best weapon on the outside, and none of those guys working with Card. I'm a little bit worried about that offense. I think it's going to be the Bijan show.
0: Fingers crossed. It is Bijan season, baby. Let's see it. Last coaching staff was, was too scared to unleash him. They lost their jobs because of it. If Sark does the same thing this year, they should lose their jobs too. Matt, you have a very interesting name on the list here for new QB faces across college football because this, this one requires somebody to be benched. But I, but I think the the storyline is certainly there. I don't necessarily agree that it happens, but Jackson Dart.
1: Yeah, I, why won't why won't it happen? Keaton Slovis is not good. I mean, I guess depending on who you listen to, some people think he's going to be like a top two pick. Pretty sure everybody here on this group today does not think that that is going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I trust Kevin Coleman a lot. He's talked about it. He lives in California. He's very close to a lot of those programs, and he thinks it's going to happen. Jackson Dart's just the better quarterback. USC, we talked about it when we did. Uh, you guys talked about it, I'm sorry, with your Pac-12 previews. They don't exactly have the easiest schedule coming out, if they lose a game or two there, we already know Clay Helton's on the hot seat. Why not throw that 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 kid out there and say, hey, look, we're going to go with the young guy. Let me show you what I can do. And then if he goes out there and starts winning games, that might actually kind of bring the fire off of Clay Helton's seat. So I think Dart's the better player. They've got a good offense. They have a decent defense there. I think there's a more realistic shot. We see Dart, and probably not by week two or three, but maybe midway through the season if usc's not doing what they expect is for Helton to kind of show hey this is the future this is the kid I brought in here give me a year to prove I can do it with them
0: yeah Colin you said something very you know uh, along those similar lines on the c2c pod this week um do, uh, for a coach that's going down though don't they kind of want to lean on on the guy that's been there i mean putting the putting that in the hands of a freshman seems
2: risky. I mean, it could definitely be risky, but if the season's already going down, then, you know, Clay Helton's got to do something to save his job. He's been on the hot seat for the last couple years. They really haven't been able to fire him because of the buyout that they gave him. Like, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was a massive buyout. So they haven't really been able to fire him. I think that comes down to a more reasonable level this year. Um, So it's a lot more possible that he gets the axe at the end of this year. And the game that I'm circling there is, um, you know, Notre Dame, the Notre Dame game on October 23rd. If he struggles, if Keaton Slovis struggles in that one, uh, you know, I I could see them making a turn in that game. You know, it's going to be a big-time game. It's one everybody has circled uh, on their calendars, USC and Notre Dame included. That's a big-time game every single year. And if he, like I said, if Slovis struggles, could see him turn to Dart, And then after that, they get Arizona. So if they just kind of, you know, keep Dart going, I mean, he could beat up on Arizona pretty easily. And then I think he could keep the job going after that, the rest of the way out.
0: I I feel like maybe a primetime game against Notre Dame is not the time you want to toss your true freshman into the fire, but I could be completely wrong on that. Chris, do you have any thoughts on the Dart Slovis situation there at USC?
3: They're not going to bench Slovis. It's just not going to happen. Like, I I think it's a lot of, debbie and c to c folks saying oh they're gonna bench slovis because we love jackson dart they're not gonna bench slovis They're just not i just don't, i just don't think that's a realistic scenario he has to be really bad i think the program is invested in him um as a player to to turn out like productive for the nfl i think part of helton in building that program is saying okay look we can develop quarterbacks we can get quarterbacks drafted in the in the first round we can do xyz i think there's a Commitment within the program to Slovis, I don't think they're gonna go away from him. I and is Jackson Dart ready? Maybe. Maybe so. And maybe, maybe Helton does that to save his job because that's his only option. I find it really, really hard that they would bench Slovis, like even if he's poor this year. Like I just I just don't think that's a realistic scenario. It may, maybe maybe. Yeah. I just I find it hard to believe. You Basically, will find
0: one. you will find nobody that that dislikes Keaton Slovis as a player more than me. And I agree with you, Chris. I don't think he's benched this year barring injury. Now that could happen because he's had multiple shoulder injuries while he's been there, which is not great for a young quarterback um, at a do you have any final thoughts on this before we go to the last guy here on our list?
4: No, I, I echo the same things. Um, they probably should, if, if Slovis struggles, look at car, look at, look at dark, but, I think they'll stick with him the, the full year um, unless, you know, it, it. he throws, you know, multiple games with four or five picks or, you know, there's an injury, like you said. I just think they'll ride it out all season with Slovis.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, so it sounds like we're three to two on this show. So the the Slovis guys win. I, I can't call myself a Slovis guy. That hurts. A couple other names here, guys. We're not going to dive too deep into them, but I think there's there's some some other big names, small names that, that we should be aware of. Bryce Young, obviously, at Alabama, kicking off a new era of quarterback play there. We've got Haynes King at Texas A&M, recently named the starter there. Um, another dual threat guy. Him and Hudson Card are kind of like you know the mirror images of each other down there at Texas. C.J. Stroud at, at Mr. Bruning's Ohio State there. Got Bailey Zappi, who is kind of a, a weird one because he is a, an older player, a transfer in. We'll see if that experiment at Western Kentucky, bringing in an entire offense from a lower level of college football, basically, and trying to integrate it there in one offseason, could really change the way how college football is played at some of those smaller schools if it takes off. And then we have Braxton Burmeester at. Uh, Virginia Tech as well. So one of these things is not like the others. It was probably Braxton Burmeister. Um, all right, guys, we have Mr. Uh, we have a data whiz uh, uh, here at the site, Jarek Backus, who's going to be doing a weekly segment for us. And this week he has a piece on Hawaii running back Calvin Turner.
1: In the numbers, it's time to dive into the classroom with a beautiful mind, Jarek Backus,
3: and By the numbers.
5: Thanks. Calvin Turner, 5'11", 195, running back from Hawaii, transferred onto the team this year where he had 60 attempts for 326 yards and four rushing touchdowns. He earned an insane 44 targets, getting 33 receptions for 546 yards. Looking at his PFF grade, he had an 83.6 rushing grade. Which is pretty good. For receiving, he had a 1.79 yard per route run, which is higher than Javante Williams and Najee Harris last year, and just below where Michael Carter ended up. He had 18 missed tackles forced on 60 attempts, which is a 30% rate, which is higher than average, and I like to see about a 20% minimum. This year, he led the team in backfield dominator rating, which is a player's share of his backfield yards and TDs, with over 60%. I'd also like to see this over 70% this year. His main competition, Miles Reed, entered the transfer portal last December and won't be returning, so that share should rise even further this year. For NFL potential, with his size, age, and coming from a G5 school, I honestly can't see him becoming a day one or two pick. What I can see is him going early day three and being a pretty good receiving back. Now, back to you. Yeah. Who doesn't like money?
0: Really? That, that's why, we're all, it's why we all do this, right? Fancy football, because we're just making tons of money. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. So let's get into some of these picks for today's games, guys. Um, first game, as we said, is this Nebraska-Illinois game. There we go. So... What do we like uh, for this week, guys? Uh, Nebraska or Illinois? We'll start with you, Matt.
1: No, we're starting with you, Austin. Oh, starting with You're me. You're picking. Okay. Just go in order. Go in order.
0: Okay. So I am taking Nebraska this week. I think that should be uh, a close
2: game, but, but interesting nonetheless. Colin? Uh, yeah, I'm going to take uh, Nebraska as well, but I do have a parlay where I have the Illinois plus seven in it. I think it's going to be a really close one. Probably in the, you know, like 30, 28, 30, like 27 kind of a range. I think it's going to be real tight. Matt.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a very close game as well, but I'm taking Nebraska to win uh, 31-27. Moxley. You're up, Mox.
3: I'm taking Nebraska. I think that they also fail to cover. And I'm going to do
0: 30-27. And Brandon.
4: I am actually going to go against the green and take Illinois in this game. I trust Brett Bielema right now more than Scott Frost. I think they're going to run the ball. And I have Illinois winning 24-20. to 20.
0: Perfect. That second game here so, on the slate, UConn-Fresno. Fresno. And I think they cover. I put money on it. So, um, Fingers ooh, crossed. Look
2: to you.
3: I um,
2: yeah, I'm going. I'm going with Fresno here too. I mean, like like we touched on with the breakdown, like Utah or UConn hasn't played at all. Um, now friends, Fresno will probably be a little light since they have a big game coming up next week. Um, but yeah, I think Fresno 38 20. 38
1: 20. I'm taking Fresno 45 17. There's Jalen Cropper's going wild today. Moxley.
3: Yeah, Fresno's going to obviously win. I think it's going to be close with the uh 27 and a half point spread. You know, I, I think they score <clears throat> let's say 44-20. I think they maybe just fail to cover.
4: Brandon. I also take to Fresno State. I put money on the on the spread for Fresno, so uh, I'm going to go 52-14.
0: Perfect. Third game on the slate here, Hawaii, UCLA. Uh, I, I'm going UCLA, but I, I, Hawaii has a, a path to an upset here and it would not shock me at all. If Hawaii wins that game, I do think they, that, you know, UCLA does not cover regardless, but UCLA.
2: Yeah. I have UCLA here as well. My, um, like you said, I think there, it wouldn't surprise me if Hawaii wins. Um, but I, I don't think Hawaii covers either. Or I mean, I don't think UCLA covers either. I'm going to say 35, 27.
1: I'm right there with you guys. I'm taking UCLA as well. I think they get a three-point victory, 35-31. DTR, game-winning drive down the field to kick a field goal and win the game.
3: Yeah, I got UCLA too. But I think it's going to be close. I, that 17-point spread is ridiculous. Chip Kelly cannot cover. I think uh, Hawaii keeps it close, and, and UCLA doesn't show their Hall of for LSU. So give me 38-31.
4: I also have UCLA, and I don't think they cover it either. I think it's going to be um, a much closer game, and the cover shows. I will go thirty-one twenty-three UCLA. All
0: right, UTEP, New Mexico State. Here, um, you got to go with UTEP. They got a really cool, uh, cool logo there. I like the the axe pick. That that's totally what I picked based on. So. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, I took UTEP too. Um, New Mexico State, I just don't think is very good. They do not have a very good defense at all either. Um, I think UTEP's going to hit this cover pretty easily. Um, I put that in my parlay as well. I'm going to say UTEP 35, New Mexico State 21. So I was gonna roll with New Mexico State until
1: Moxley kept saying how bad they were. Plus, as Austin mentioned, I go picking by logos as well, and that '70s porn stash just doesn't do it for me. So I'm taking UTEP. No analysis needed, just UTEP.
3: Yeah, New Mexico State's like the worst team in the country. You don't lose to Tarleton State and get picked on this show. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not. I'm doing it next week then. Yeah, right. UTEP's (laughs) UTEP's gonna cover, and it's gonna be let's say 31-17.
4: I'm also picking UTEP
0: and 28-14. All right. And the last game of the week here, Southern Utah, San Jose State. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion we're all going to be very similar in this one as well. Uh, give me San Jose State uh, in a blowout. I think they, they score over 40 points.
2: Yeah, I'm with you there, too. I think this is going to be a blowout. I have San Jose State as well. Um, I have them at 35-13, San Jose State.
1: Right there with you. I think that they're going to have a really good year as well with that defense, so I'm taking San Jose State.
3: Yeah, this is easy, San Jose State. Spreads 24. I think they cover, let's say, 41, Ted. I'll
4: also take San Jose State. I'll go 38-7. to 7. Man, we're
0: just such a unique bunch. We all, you know, (laughs) chose the exact same score, guys. All right. Thank you to everybody. We'll have better games next week. (laughs) Yes, we will. Yes. Thank you to everybody that tuned in to watch this first hour here with us.
6: It's Coast to Coast presented by campus Jam-packed show for you tonight covering a loaded week zero of college football in your college fantasy action. But I need you guys to do two things for me. Go ahead and hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications so that you can know every time we go live for Coast to Coast like you're watching right now on Saturday night and then in the morning with the tailgate. So go ahead and subscribe and uh, and hit your notifications bell so you can know every single time we go live. And, of course, jump in the chat. Jump in the chat right now and tell us where you are watching from. We start every
7: week here on Coast to Coast with the rundown. UConn did not show up to play, my friend. There was some buzz that maybe the offense could get things done. Kevin Mensa was the DFS favorite, but he ended up with 11 carries, 31 yards. The offensive line could not open holes. For the running game whatsoever ronnie rivers showed us what he's made up for fresno state there's no question that rivers is a he's a legitimate prospect but you know we have to look at him he's a fifth year player but he had that huge pass reception for the touchdown rivers ended up with a very nice 58 yards rushing on 13 carries he ended up with 66 yards on only two receptions and the big touchdown. There was nothing of note in the quarterback here for UConn. I mean, it's they didn't throw the ball further than 10 yards down the line, uh, past the line in scrimmage. It was all dink and dunk all afternoon. We did have some nice quarterback performance from Jake Hayner. I know Felix, you've been talking about Jake Hayner. Look at exceptional arm strength. There's no question about that. Now, the numbers look a little bit better. You saw the long touchdown by Jalen Cropper. UConn did not wrap. They did not tackle. It was an embarrassment in the secondary. But Hayner showed us everything we've been talking about in this summer with the arm strength. Big week next week. He's going to Oregon. This, I cannot wait to watch him again. Now he got ding, but they, I think he, they were up thirty-five to nothing or some thirty-one nothing. They took him out. They brought in Logan Fife. No reason to bring him back on the pass catching side. Jalen Cropper three for eighty-seven, but I believe his touchdown was eighty-six yards. So that leaves him with two receptions for one yard outside of the big play and i've seen this from the uconn secondary for years there go watch it on youtube on the long touchdown he literally has four uconn members of the secondary and no one could tackle him it was an embarrassment by the huskies i was impressed by josh kelly i thought he played well in this game fresno state has talent on the offensive side of the football they will help our college fantasy football teams
6: Yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're moving into whose stock is up and whose stock is down after today. Man, first first
0: show. Look at us go here. All right, guys. Yeah. So I know I know limited slate here of games. You only have three that have played so far today to really choose from. Um, so, so options are limited here. But, John, I want to come to you first. Was there anybody that you watched today that you thought probably
7: improved their stock in some way? I think there is only one in my book, Zach Charbonnet of the UCLA Bruins. And this is really an indictment of Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. There is something wrong with Harbaugh. Think about this team a couple years ago, Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Zach Charbonnet. And he could do nothing with that offense. Zach Charbonnet today, let's put it into context. That offensive line of the Bruins Whenever I watch offensive football, it starts with the offensive line. And whatever Hawaii, they were not prepared their front seven. UCLA literally beat the shit out of them at the line of scrimmage. I know everyone's talking about the running backs. I get it. But you know why Charbonnet was incredible? That offensive line, I did not see a rainbow get past the line of scrimmage in the run game in the first half. There were literally rainbows on their back, and they were getting hit five yards off the line of scrimmage. Now, put that aside. Charbonnet showed us speed, strength, vision, and he took advantage of what was in front of them. Good blocking only matters if you have a running back who takes advantage of the holes, And Charbonnet showed that. Next week is the entire I think his college career is going to be defined against this game against LSU. LSU now has film. LSU is going to be able to deal with the UCLA offensive line. There is going to be some snot knocking when we watch LSU's defensive front seven come up. That Bruins offensive line is good big and nasty. They have at least two NFL picks up front. We know LSU is going to bring the heat. They're going to pressure UCLA. Let's see what happens. But if Charbonneau could have another good game, he's not going to repeat. Come on. Six for 106 and three touchdowns. But if he could show us that speed and that strength, that he's a legitimate. I believe he was a five-star prospect Coming out, right? Michigan blew it. I mean, this is now we really see how bad Harbaugh was. I mean, this is it's a comedy act that he could not get this kid on the field and get him in space. Because what you saw today was an offensive coordinator with Chip Kelly got Charbonneau in space, let him use his vision and his speed and his size. Now, LSU is going to close the gaps. Their safeties and linebackers are going to be there quicker. But I can't wait to see the battle. But Charbonneau by far showed us what we thought we saw two years ago when he walked onto the Michigan campus.
0: UCLA really dominated the trenches that, oh. that game in both sides of the ball. It was oh, really, yeah. <laughs> it, it was brutal. Colin, do you want to victory lap at all here? You get 30 seconds. <laughs> from your from talking about him this morning
2: oh man uh, how do i how do i first of all do better than john just did i mean his description was fantastic i can't do it justice in 30 seconds i'm i'm not gonna victory lap too much on day one all i'm gonna say is he had a role he looked
7: fantastic
2: and let's go bruins <laughs>
7: It yeah, would that, be good for college football if the Bruins upset LSU. It would make the Pac-12 interesting and be good for college football.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really, really good point. That Pac-12 definitely needs a shot in the arm for this oh, year. Yeah. Matt, do you have a guy that stood out to you today?
1: I do, but I got to ask Colin. So next week when Penn State beats Auburn, are you going to put the Penn State hat on? Like <laughs> when
4: you ah, uh, the yeah, I have week. a Penn
2: State hat too. Um, but it's it's Wisconsin next week. So when they beat Wisconsin, Man, got you.
4: That's right. yes, I okay. will have
2: a Penn State hat.
1: Uh since since John and Colin talked about Zach, I'll say I thought Jalen Cropper looked really good today. We talked a little bit about him as well this morning. I think he has some sneaky NFL upside. Obviously, most of his yards is 87, 86 came on the one touchdown uh pass, but I still thought it looked really good. Obviously, would have loved to see more out of him playing a game, uh, team like UConn, but I think overall he still looked really good. A lot of speed, good after the catch. I think he's the guy we talked, like I said, this morning that has sneaky NFL upside. So I think his stock raised a little bit uh, today as well.
0: All right, conversely, guys, I'll go to you first here, Colin. Is there anybody that you watched today that just looked out of their depth, someone that, that you thought probably hurt themselves a little bit? I know it's one game, so kind of hard to say that sometimes.
2: Uh, yeah, with one game, it's it's tough to say. Um and, and I know Hawaii has a very good secondary and UCLA's offensive line just beat up on Hawaii and they just ran the ball all over them. But DTR Dorian Thompson Robinson did not look great today. Um, as a passer, 10 for 20, 130 yards and a touchdown. Not not great. Um, you know, he struggled a little bit early. Uh they got up big, so they didn't need him in this one, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on going into next week with LSU where they're not going like John touched on. They're not going to be able to dominate the trenches like they did against Hawaii. They're going to need him to step up throughout the season and especially next week if they're going to make some noise. So I don't think he necessarily hurt himself, but it's definitely a a to monitor situation.
0: Yeah. If he didn't, if he didn't hurt himself, he certainly didn't help himself missed high. Uh, very, very often there early. John, do you have a guy to, that disappointed you a little bit today?
7: Well, I have to agree with Colin, and I'm not as high on Dorian Thompson Robinson as an NFL prospect as others. I see the athletic ability, but he needs to make a huge leap in my book. And what I saw today, if he plays like that against LSU, the Bruins are going to get whooped, folks. If he makes those mistakes, those LSU defensive backs are going to pick the ball off, or and those, and if they don't block up front, he's going to make fumbles, get sacks. So he needs to improve. Now, I think what happened, he came out nervous. What, what is he like over four, over five? He was really, you know, he's overthrowing. He had a wide open touchdown. I think he missed on his first or second throw of the game. He should have hit that one. So I'll give him a little bit of nerves. But if that happens against LSU, they're in trouble because they're not going to get 45-yard touchdowns rushing the football. So I I think it's a big game for TBR next week to keep his NFL Debbie stock at least where it is.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, it will definitely be a, a, a legacy maker there for him. All right, John, thank you so much for coming on here tonight. Again, for anybody that wants to find John, you can find him at GridironSkull91 on Twitter, Uh, his work with the draft seminar with Matt Hicks at NFL Draft Bible, uh, and then over on Fantrax and Football Diehards as well. Thanks for coming on, John. We appreciate it.
7: Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great night. Enjoy the football next week.
0: You too. You too. All right, next year, guys, we have, uh, as we did on this morning show, we have Jarek uh, stopping by with a little bit of a uh, pre recorded message here on uh, Dwayne McBride.
5: Thanks, Felix. Dwayne McBride stands at 5'11, 220 pounds from UAB. Last year was his freshman season where he played a total of six games. In those six games, he had 47 rush attempts. 439 yards and 4 rushing touchdowns. He didn't have any receiving work or return work though. His dominator rating, which is his share of the total offense, was 12%. His backfield dominator rating, which is his share of the backfield work, was 16%. His yards per team play was .72. Now since this is his freshman year, he is working behind other running backs. These numbers don't tell us a ton. So let's dig a little further. Per PFF, he earned a 93.8 rushing grade. That's number two for all RBs with no minimum rushing threshold for this last year. He had 21 missed tackles forced, which equates to 45% missed tackles forced rate. Led RBs with yards created per rush attempt, just over 6.75 yards. Led RBs and breakaway run rate with over 20%, which is crazy. He already owns the two longest rushing TDs in UAB history as well. So I hope that equates to some speed on the field too. Now looking at team situation, his coach Bill Clark loves running. His RB1 is almost locked in for 250 carries Since taking over, it's happened every season but one, not including the COVID year. In neutral game scripts, last year they ran the ball about 56% of the time. The average of all college teams is 51%. Still they like to run the ball, yeah. Um, They return all but one offensive lineman, including two first-team Conference USA players. The lead back for the 2020 season, Spencer Brown, declared for the 2021 NFL Draft and left behind almost 50% of the backfield work share. McBride was quoted as having good hands out of the backfield by the offensive quarter near back in May. In summary, Dwayne McBride looks like he's in a position to absolutely smash this year and next, and if he can step it up in the passing game, the sky is the limit. Now back to you, Felix.
6: And Jarek Backus is with us every week to talk by the numbers. We welcome in Shane P. Hallam. Uh, Shane, co-host of the Debbie Marketplace with Kane Fussell. He's the managing partner of Draft Countdown, and you can find him at Shane P. Hallam on Twitter. Shane, um, we talked a little bit about Dorian Thompson-Robinson's performance uh, earlier tonight. From your perspective, as an evaluator, it wasn't great tonight. What did you see?
8: I, I really thought it, it kind of put a nail potentially in his coffin for the NFL draft. I think it was actually a little more dire than both Colin and John kind of gave uh, credit for. This, this is Hawaii, and, and even with a, a decent secondary there in Hawaii, if you want Dorian Thompson-Robinson to be a top 100 pick in the NFL draft, he has to perform. It doesn't have to be high volume. You know, they, they ran the ball. But he has to perform, and he, he didn't. That first drive was terrible, uh, you know, missing wide, a wide-open touchdown. Even his athletic ability and movement ability wasn't really on display too much in this game. So to me as an evaluator, I want to see you dominate the easy games. And if you struggle a little bit more with the harder teams, I can understand it. And he just hasn't shown development. That's the biggest thing. He hasn't gotten better, and I think this game kind of showed that he hasn't quite gotten better.
6: Shane, in what areas would he need to improve – if he would improve his draft stock uh, through the rest of the season?
8: I think there's two big areas. First, I think is footwork. I think he really needs to to firm up that, that technique. And he's been playing now for UCLA for a number of years. I think that's something I would have wanted to see improvement on this season, this first game. Maybe it can still come, but usually at this point, if it hasn't happened yet, it's rare to happen. You know, he, he, he definitely, um, you know, plays a little bit wider, his takes the step backs a little bit wider. You know, when he isn't hitting his first read, um, you can see those feet start to get happy, and that leads to the second problem, and that's just accuracy and and kind of with that decision making. That you know, his accuracy he, th- he throws high when he doesn't know exactly what he's doing when he gets uncomfortable. Um, and today we saw that in pockets where he wasn't even getting pressured. So, what's going to happen when he does get pressured? Uh, so I think that's the biggest thing is he just doesn't look like he's a, a natural quarterback. And, and that's going to be a problem at the NFL level. You can have all the athletic ability in the world, but um, it's not going to help when you have to throw against NFL defenses.
6: And, you know, we're looking for the next Joe Burrow, the next Jack, Zach Wilson, the player to make a jump um, kind of in their final season before going to the NFL. It sounds like you don't consider Dorian Thompson Robinson to be a candidate. Um, for the next Zach Wilson or Joe Burrow, at least after today's game.
8: I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, And uh, if if Chip Kelly wasn't his coach, I'm not sure if we talk about him as much as we have been. So I, I think we'll have to look elsewhere to find that guy.
6: Shane Hallam, you can find him at Shane P. Hallam on Twitter. Shane, we appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much, Felix. Thank you. We welcome in Tara Victoria, Tara uh contributing analyst with fantasy pros co-host of dynasty vipers but she is a clemson grad you can find her at it's tara time um tara you know this is one of the biggest games of the year absolutely how do you see this one playing out
9: uh you know i mean i I like starting the game or the season off with a big game because I think it kind of leaves uh, a little room to <laughs> to take care of things if you do mess up in the beginning. But I fortunately do see it playing out that Clemson does come out with the victory. Um, I think we're going to take it thirty-one to twenty-four. I think it'll be a pretty close game overall, just because of the magnitude of the game, the beginning of the season, two teams that are very familiar with each other. And, you know, we're dipping into the same reclu- uh, recruiting, uh, recruiting area. So I think it'll be a lot closer than some people are saying. And I think that Clemson does pull it out. um I am. So in terms of how the game would actually affect the season, uh, I don't think either team is really going to be Massively effective. If they lose, uh, Georgia obviously is going to have a lot of chance. See, I'm not. A, I'm not a big SEC fan, but they're going to have a lot of chance to make up ground as long as they don't have a huge um, loss. And for you know, from Clemson's perspective, it's a little bit more difficult for us to overcome a loss. But as long as we don't, <coughs> as long as we don't get blown out, and we keep it close, and it's a really good game. I think we'll have the opportunity to obviously win out, then head to the ACG championship game, and provided that the other side of the conference does their part. And I'm really excited about North Carolina in particular, and hopefully they get to the championship game and can provide a good opponent for us. And, you know, regardless, we can end up in the playoffs. So I think it's going to be a good game. I think, you know, I like JT Daniels. I think he's a great talent, but uh, he may not have the experience in a big game like this that, um, DJ's actually had in the past when he had to step in for uh, Trevor last year. So he might be prone to making a few mistakes. He might be making some key mistakes along the way that will get our, our defense an opportunity to make some plays, hand the ball over, and give us an extra opportunity to kind of push things over the edge.
6: And JT Daniels, of course, is going to be without George Pickens, without Darnell Washington, without Eric Gilbert in that game. Um, Tara, DJ Uyunglele, I saw him in a Dr. Pepper commercial today. For those who may not have been paying attention last season, you mentioned him having to step in for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, He had to step in against Boston College and against Notre Dame and performed really, really well for a true freshman who was just in high school a few months prior. Um, But what is it about DJU that will have him uh, 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 become a face of college football as he takes the, the helm from Trevor Lawrence?
9: You know, I think he's just such a complete player. He's got the entire package, and I think that from the get-go, he's got a presence that's really going to be able to take on a leadership role, lead the team, and <clears throat> I'm not too concerned about his age. I think that he's ready to step up and have that big moment. You know, it's not it's not unusual for us to see a freshman come in and have that big moment and be able to take a, take the team to a championship game and succeed, and I think he's got that caliber, uh, that mentality as well. So I think I think he's going to be a star in the league.
6: Everybody's going to want to know two things about about Clemson Tara. That's, you know, who we should own from a skill position perspective. There's a lot of names at wide receiver, Justin Ross, Frank Ladson, uh, EJ Williams. They brought in two Collinses as freshmen <laughs> wide receivers. Yes. For, for who do you see emerging uh, as the main target target for DJ Uwe out of those <laughs> out of those guys or if there's someone I didn't name, who do you see becoming the main target?
9: You know, I, I think it is going to be Justin Ross. Um, just when you look at the talent level and what he's had to go through, I I predicted he's going to have his Amari Rogers moment. You know, Amari came back off that injury and really, um, you know, and it might be a different situation because I think Justin is more poised to be a higher pick, obviously. But um, Amari really came in there and used that opportunity, that motivation of coming back and really played his way through the season and raised his draft stock. So. I think Justin's going to have the same opportunity. He's going to step in there. He's going to be the leader now. And you know, of all the guys that are on the team, um, he has championship experience. He was on the national championship team. He's been around um, wide receivers who has been who have been leaders. So he's he's gotten to be with Amari Rogers. He's gotten to be with T. Higgins, um, Cornell Powell. So he's been in a situation where he knows how to handle this, and he can help lead the other guys. Um, you know. Aside from Justin, uh, the other guys, Frank Ladson, um, Donata, obviously had a lot of injuries last season that they were dealing with and kind of hindered them. But I do anticipate that they're going to be able to step it up. And, you know, putting Justin Ross as the obvious main target aside, um, the person who I see stepping up next from that would be uh, Frank Ladson the way I look at it is I kind of look back to that time period where we had Sammy Watkins and DeAndre Hopkins and Martavis Bryant all at the same time period. And uh, DeAndre and Sammy were fantastic and incredibly talented, but Martavis was that deep threat that really just kind of helped pull it all together. And I think that Ladson can be that guy. He can be an incredible deep threat. Um, You got to love receivers out of Florida. And I think he just really has the opportunity to come in be healthy and step in and be that guy that <laughs> that really expands the field.
6: Uh, Clemson got a lot out of Travis Etienne at the running back position over, over the last four years, um, a, a decorated player for your Tigers. Now we move forward to this season. They brought in a very decorated freshman, all-purpose skill set. Is it going to be him? Is it going to be the freshman or is it going to be one of the incumbents? that takes the reins at the running back position?
9: So I think it'll be, I think it'll be Linjay. And, you know, I think his talent, his seniority is going to give him that opportunity. But um, what a lot of people, um, I mean, for you guys, obviously you guys know, but a lot of people in general, maybe don't know this: the depth to which we rotate backs at Clemson, just from perspective. I know that was a big, knock on etn last year and people just weren't aware that his usage kind of within clemson we just typically don't go with a workhorse back and we do a lot of rotations and everyone gets a chance and everyone has their role so Obviously, Lynn J is really going to lead things off, but I would look out for um, Shipley, whose name I love because I'm in Houston and it always makes me think of Shipley's Donuts. But um, the five-star recruit out of North Carolina, um, I've seen comps for him to Joe Mixon, which is incredible. He's you know fast. He's physical. He seems to have it all together. Um, you got to love a running back that is also a great pass catching back, um, especially within our, our offense. That's really a necessity that you have to have. So. I think that, you know, he's blessed to be in the Clemson offense where he'll immediately be able to come in there and get a chance to play. And he might get in there, he might shine, get the opportunity and be able to split good time with Lynn J. Dixon and be able to make an impact.
6: Tara Victoria, you can find her on Dynasty Vipers Fantasy Pros. You can find her everywhere on Twitter at Tara Time. Tara, thank you for joining us.
9: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
6: All right, we're going to continue to look forward here to some of the bigger Week One storylines. Let's bring in all the Campus to Canton crew: Matt Bruning, Colin Decker, Austin Ace. What's up, fellas? Um, let's talk about this Ohio State quarterback situation. Obviously, CJ Stroud um, uh, named the starter, which is you know the the. Um, <laughs> What do we see? Do we do we think that they'll use any sort of two quarterback system or is this just a matter of it's going to be, you know, at the end of this season, these guys are uh, Kyle McCord, Jack Miller, Quint, maybe even Quint Ewers. that they're going to be transferring somewhere, if 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 C.J. Stroud plays the way we expect him to play Bruni? I'll throw that to you first. And, and of, and of course, Bruning's going to unmute himself and Everybody's start done it today.
1: There we go. Hey, look, now we just need Colin to do it before we get to go today. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on Debbie Debate. Uh, I don't uh, – I expect Kyle McCord and Miller to transfer for sure. I, I don't think Quinn's going anywhere. I think he is the future of the program. Outside of a Stroud injury, I don't see him playing bad enough to get benched. Uh, so I imagine he's going to play all season long. So I think he's going to be the starter this year. We'll go into a quote-unquote quarterback battle next season where I expect Quinn will either actually win it or be given the job because I, I still believe he's the better quarterback than C.J. Stroud, and he's going to elevate the players around him. Not the C.J. Stroud can't, but I think Quinn Ewers is just – he's a better prospect, better player. He's a franchise – I shouldn't say franchise. a program-changing quarterback in my opinion.
6: Austin, are you going to get tired of the storyline? Because, I mean, we're going to talk about it every <laughs> week. Everybody's muting themselves. Oh I didn't Everybody's mute myself.
0: I did not mute myself, so that's the problem here. Um, stop right. muting me. I'm not. My hot mic's not on at the back. Stop it. All right. Um, yes, I'm tired of it. I'm going to sit out a Debbie debate for the next 12 months. I, I literally have no interest in talking about this topic ever, ever, ever again. Yes. They're going to, tr- people are going to transfer. I don't know what else you want me to say about this. Yes. People are going to transfer. They're going to go play other places. They're going to be good. Other
6: places. Everyone's going to
0: say Ohio state fucked up. That's what we're looking at here.
6: Uh, Co- Colin, let's, let's move on to another quarterback situation. Um, that you were right on, uh, Casey Thompson over Hudson Card. But I think this one's a little bit different than the Ohio State um, quarterback situation. I think that we're going to see Casey Thompson in week one get a drive or two, depending on the game. That's another game where folks are thinking that Louisiana could potentially upset Texas after they upset Iowa State. Um, and, and, And Louisiana has a lot of players coming back. But anyway, in reference to the quarterback situation itself, Hudson Card is the starter, but I think that Casey Thompson's going to have a role. What say you? I actually, I agree with you on this one. Um,
2: my prediction was Thompson gets the start week one. They struggle against Louisiana. They flipped a card because it's been so close. At uh, all off season, and then Card, you know, brings them back because you know they'll have to shake off a little bit of rust. At the beginning of the year here, Sark, new team, new offense. You know, I, it'll take a little bit of time for them to gel. And Louisiana is no joke. Uh, they're ranked number twenty three in the country this year. They bring back a lot of players from a really good team last year. I I am a little bit worried about Hudson Card in Week One here, Um just if the offense in general, like I said, I think they may get off to a rough start. I do think Casey Thompson is going to have a bit of a role here in week one, but ultimately Hudson card is a more talented player. I think Hudson card keeps a hold of this job, gets a stranglehold of it because the athletic released an article today where they were kind of highlighting this battle. And there's a source in there. They said, wait till you see this kid. They said, it's not like Casey isn't good. But this kid, Hudson Card's upside is through the roof. He's so accurate. He's really athletic. It's impressive stuff. Another former Texas coach who has zero, nothing to benefit from, from hyping up Hudson Card said Hudson has a chance to be special. He's ridiculously good. He can really spin it, makes good decisions. He has a lot of the it factor. So I think Hudson Card is really, really good. I think he he took a little bit of time to develop. He still needs to develop, but he has such a high ceiling. I think he's going to hit it with uh, with Sark's offense, uh, and I think eventually he'll put Casey in the rearview mirror.
6: Now that uh, Austin, now that he's actually been declared the starter, what is his ceiling, and what should we be considering his value to be? You know, um, in relation to that twenty twenty three class. I think that's a
0: total wait and see. I think him, him and and uh, Haynes King. It's going to be like a tale of two cities. It's a tale of two quarterbacks in Texas. I, I those careers are mirroring each other at the moment. Uh, Haynes King, obviously on a better team overall. Texas is is not the squad that Texas AM and M is. Um, but but two very athletic guys that were a little raw, uh, you know, rough around the edges, uh, needed at least a year to sit. Both of them did. Now it's uh, time for both of them to kind of, uh, you know, show what they've got. I'm not buying the whole like I I get that that maybe Sark, you know, uh, was a little hesitant to name a starter because they don't have anybody else in that team. And if if Casey Thompson or or whoever were to transfer a couple months ago, they would have had nobody. I'm not buying that Hudson Card is special in practice. Hudson, like, because he would have been named the starter a while ago. Because then you're just like teams know the locker room knows when you're jerking them around. The locker room would have known if Hudson Card looks um, like the next coming, and Casey Thompson looks fine. Like they, they would have known who the guy was. So I'm not buying that whole spiel about you know Card Card being great. You know both of them were just amazing. Um, I actually don't think either of them is the answer, and I'm not really sure that Malik Murphy is either. But I think Malik Murphy can come in and push Card next year. Now I don't. I'm not predicting he's going to take the job. Uh, I'm not calling who thinks every true freshman is going to start. But um,
6: I, I don't think Card's the answer there, and, and neither is Thompson. Malik Murphy, the five-star quarterback who's coming in in next year's class, went to the same high school as uh, Tom Brady in California. As we look forward to week one, the real week one in college football, September 4th, in addition to that Clemson-Georgia game, which is massive, Alabama takes on Miami. Derek King, I believe, is going to be healthy. Matt Bruning, uh, I mean – if I gave you ten points for Miami, would you would you take the points or would you go with Alabama? I'm going with Alabama.
1: I just don't think Miami has the talent to keep up with them. Maybe it's close for the first half, uh, but I still think Bryce Young, even though we haven't seen much of him, is still going is going to be a really good quarterback. They've got weapons all over that offense. You know, we jokingly say we well, not joking. We talk about Ohio State a lot. The fact that a dude couldn't get on the field there and then is going to Alabama and playing just shows how good that that wide receiver room is going to be there as well. You got Jameson Williams, all those freshmen they've got. uh, I I think running back wise, they've got two really good guys in Jace McClellan, Brian Robinson junior who We're likely going to be the two lead guys there defense. I think might take a little bit of a step back compared to what we're used to seeing from Alabama, but they're still going to be good enough to keep Miami's offense in check for most of the game. I I just, I don't think Derrick King is a game changing quarterback. That's going to, uh, kind of flip the flip the tide for them and, and get that win against Alabama.
6: Hey, Colin, we mentioned it earlier, but the week one game, USC and San Jose State, I don't think that most people are looking at this game as a potential upset. And maybe it's not, but we're definitely going to see the, how strong the uh, Mountain West is after, uh, uh, after Hawaii got curb stomped today and Fresno State as strong as they looked. And then the real test for the conference is San Jose State, Going to USC and, and seeing if they can get their second win against a uh, a top fifteen team. Uh, what do you see in that? What do you see happening in that game?
2: I mean, I think this game really comes down to USC's offense versus San Jose State's defense. San Jose State has a very good defense, especially for a Mountain West team. Uh, Mountain West as a conference, a little weaker on the defensive side, but San Jose State is solid. Now it's going to come down to the way that Keaton Slovis looks at the quarterback position. I think Keaton Slovis is good enough that he's going to cut up San Jose State's uh, defense as good as they are, but you know, Keaton Slovis hasn't looked great this whole off season. Uh, He's been battling some injury issues where he, you know, at the end of last year, he sounds like he's recovered from those, but those injury issues have affected his confidence as a whole so we'll see how he comes out if he looks like the Keaton Slovis more from his freshman year or if he looks more like the Keaton Slovis from last year. Um, but then at that point, you know, I, I think that the the receiving core, the way that that shakes out is also going to be interesting because they've had some injuries there as well. Um, you know, Jake Smith getting hurt, Brew McCoy being dismissed from the team. Um, so I'll be interested to see who outside of Drake London also emerges as an option in that receiving core.
6: Uh, Matt Bruning, um, let's go to your your Ohio State, Ohio State University Buckeyes, uh, starting the season off with Minnesota. Minnesota is not a necessarily a pushover, and Ohio State has a lot of moving parts, you know, and a lot of new pieces there. Is are they just going to 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 run over Minnesota, or how do you see this one playing out?
1: No, not at all. Uh, I, I do think uh, Minnesota, while. I- they're not going to challenge, I think, Ohio State where their weakness is, which is the secondary. I, I don't know that Tanner Morgan and I know Amon Bell, I believe, is coming back or should possibly be healthy by week one. Can Daniel Jackson take advantage of that, that secondary? I don't think so. But that running game is going to be good. And outside of that defensive line, the linebackers I don't trust that much for Ohio State. So I do think Ibrahim could go out there and have a very good game. If they're able to play good enough defense with, you know, Austin, I know I think he mentioned this on the Camps to Canton podcast with Colin. You're throwing C.J. Stratt out there for he took a total of six snaps last year. He's he's going out there in his first game in the big lights in Minnesota. That stadium is going to be rocking. This is their Super Bowl. It's not going to be an easy game for him to just go out there and throw all over that team. They still have a very good team. I think their defense is going to take a step up compared to what it was last year. So I do expect this to be a close game. I do think Ohio State pulls out the win. I think they're going to eventually, because of the power they have on offense, be able to make it look like it was a better game than it was. Maybe pull away and win like 35-21, but that's like two late scores in the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be a close game throughout this. And, should hopefully be a very good test for them for what's coming next week as well. But I expect them to win, but I don't expect them to blow Minnesota out.
0: Is there a bigger insult than this is this team Super Bowl? Like really is there a bigger insult than that, especially coming from why is that an insult? That's like the most condescending thing you could say to another this is going to be a really
1: big game for you because you're going to suck really bad. So you know they don't suck bad though. You can't tell me that every Minnesota fan just talking about Kane Fussell is a big Minnesota fan. If they beat Ohio State and knock them off, that's one of the biggest wins of the year in, of all college football outside of Alabama or Clemson getting knocked off by one, someone in their conference. I don't understand how that's an insult to them at all. Everybody wants to knock off Ohio State. It's like everyone wants to knock off Alabama. Everyone wants to knock off Clemson. That's not a, I'm not saying Minnesota sucks. They're not Ken State. They have a chance to win their division, and if they beat Ohio State, that makes it an even better chance. I don't know how you. It's can – It's a little sim-
2: harsh to Kent State by I, the way. They're not that bad. Wow. I don't All know right. how you can simultaneously. they that, that
0: That they're not that they don't suck, but that it would be one of the biggest upsets in college football this year. It's got to be I didn't one. I say or the it would other. be the I biggest upset.
1: You. you did. I didn't say it would be the biggest upset.
2: You said it would be one of the it would biggest, be an upsets upset. yes. Does, I think I, it would it, be one of the biggest upsets if with Minnesota. Does anybody being expect them Ohio to Ohio actually no.
1: beat Ohio State? Exactly. Nobody's gonna go out there and pick them outside of Minnesota fans. Are gonna pick them to beat Ohio State. So that is an upset. That's the definition of an upset. I, I don't it's not like they're going in with a three point I don't know what the line is. I'm sure someone it's can look really it up here in mean, a It's not three points. But so I think yeah, so anytime Ohio an State
2: loses is a big upset. It's anytime an upset. Uh, yeah. anytime Ohio State loses, anytime Clemson loses, those are two of the biggest upsets of the year because of the conferences that they're in. They're not in it, that, the SEC, where it's you know, anybody could beat anybody on any given week. And that's a little bit of a stretch. But like it's not as strong of a conference top to bottom. So there are like two or three games each year on both the Big Ten and ACC where you could circle and say maybe Ohio State or Clemson loses this game. But I don't know if Minnesota is one of those games that you would circle on Ohio State's schedule.
0: The thing about Minnesota is that their strength is the run run game, right? Can they run it on Ohio State? Because I don't think they can stop Ohio State at all defensively. But uh, like that's, they're, they're, they
1: outside of them. their defensive line, I don't think that the Ohio State's defense is not good outside of that line.
9: That's I don't think I'm their saying, linebackers like,
1: are good. The line is good. That, that, yeah, but I, so is Minnesota's offensive line. I think that's where it's going to be a battle right there. If Mo, if Ibrahim gets past the first level, it, he's going to score touchdowns. Those linebackers in secondary are not going to stop. That's my point. And just to – on right. the upset thing, it's, maybe I, I explained this wrong. Quiet, Felix. All right. All right if all you're right. telling Thank me if you, if LSU and, uh, were Max, Max to beat – if LSU were to beat Alabama this year, that would be considered an upset, right? I feel like that's kind of the same par. That's what I mean by that. I'm not trying to say Ohio State's the best team in the land. They're not. They're like. Let's Cable get
6: one State more State. game in here before we say goodnight to everyone. Uh, I don't know how the heck your Penn State and Indy Lions, Colin, are ranked – uh, after the season that they had last year, but the number 19 team in the country, and they take on Wisconsin to start the season. Uh, two seasons, two teams that are really looking to kind of rebound from from last season, especially Wisconsin having dealt with um, the COVID uh, outbreak in their locker room. From Graham Mertz to Jalen Berger to Theo Johnson um, to f- figuring out who's the back to own in in, uh, in Happy Valley. There's a lot of storylines to track as far as Campus to Canton leads in this game. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you how Penn State's ranked. Their, their
2: year last year was not really reflective of their talent level. They struggled very early on in the year. Uh, that Indiana game, uh, very questionable win uh, on Indiana's part, but we won't get into that too much. But they closed out the year very strong. They have a lot of talent on that roster. So I think they are deserving of a top 25 ranking. Uh, the big storyline on this game is going to be one: how Wisconsin's offense looks after such a uh, up and down year last year with a lot of COVID issues. Um, Graham Mertz got COVID himself. He said it was you know it affected him throughout the year. Uh, he looked very good at sometimes, not very good at all in other games. So seeing him uh, actually healthy, hopefully. Uh, is, is going to be very interesting against the Penn State defense that the strength of that team is their secondary. So I'll be very intrigued to see about how Graham Mertz does against that. And then, like you touched on, who's going to emerge from that Penn State backfield? Um, Austin and I have been talking a lot. We think it's going to be Noah Kane. Uh, I feel still feel pretty good about that based on all the buzz in this offseason. But Kivon Lee did have a strong year to close out last year. So it's not a foregone conclusion. Kavon Lee is going to have a role. And then Kaziah Holmes is kind of an intriguing option as well, but I think it's mostly going to be between Kane and Lee.
6: Austin, is there something uh, you want, you wanted to add here before we go Wisconsin? That's all I got to add. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, Hey, thank you for letting us take you from coast to coast tonight. Week zero is in the books. Week one is on the way. And that's when we're going to see you next, 9, 4, 10 o'clock-ish, probably after the primetime game, uh, after that Clemson-Georgia game. All right, everybody, have a good night.